He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Jim Woodward, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you as always. And guys, let's just go ahead and get it started. The Fortinet Australian PGA Championship. So we have another Fortnite tournament coming up this weekend, T-Dub, and we have some pretty solid names in this tournament. You have Cam Smith is the odds-on favorite. You have Adam Scott, Cam Davis, Minwoo Lee, and Ryan Fox round out your favorites for the golf tournament. But before T-Dub, we get to the golf tournament, Woody teased on our last show that he has a crazy story from him playing in Australia. So, Woody, you have the floor. Just take it away. I went to Australia one time, and so if you guys want a long flight on an airplane, go to Australia. It was 15 hours and 40 minutes and it was 747 oh nonstop wow. from Los Angeles to Sydney. Okay. So I empathize with Cam Smith because he flew from Jacksonville, Florida, where he lives all the way across the United States to get to LA. And then from LA down to, uh, I think he might've flown into Sydney before he headed over to the other location dragging the claret jub with him the whole way that's got to be fun that's unbelievable he did that but in 88 i had missed the qualifying school by one stroke and you want to talk about heartbreak boys because there was no other place to play in the united states it was either get on tour or you were done there was nothing like uh, as it turned out they had the hogan and the nike and we've had a lot of names of that that tour but there was nowhere to go. So I loaded up on an airplane and I flew to Australia. You Monday qualified like you used to on the PGA Tour. It wasn't difficult. Let me just tell you guys. You could get in most golf tournaments if you could shoot anything around par or even one or two over. Because there just wasn't anybody playing. And if you made the cut, you were going to be exempt the next week. So the first tournament I got in, I, I qualified, but I didn't make the cut. So the second tournament we were going to was uh, it was called the Coca-Cola Classic, but it was being played at Royal Melbourne, which I wanted so badly, you know, to get to play Royal Melbourne. It's just, you know, it was even in the late 80s, it was iconic, and you can you know about it today still. Well, we went to a qualifier on a Monday at a local golf course in the PGA, the Australian PGA ran these qualifiers. Well, we went and we teed off and it was kind of weird because what you, what you had is was a golf course that was closed normally to a membership. So we had pool carts that we drug our bags around and, and, uh, not knowing any different, I took a staff bag. I took a big golf bag thinking I was a golf pro, you know. Well, hindsight, you shouldn't have done that. You should have taken a little bag, but I didn't know all this. So anyway, we go out on the Monday. I see the even par. I qualify. I think, wow, it's great. Well, on this trip, believe it or not, was also Jeff Maggart and Michael Bradley, which those two names probably still, to some people, they'll recognize, especially Maggart. Well, I come out to the golf course to get Bradley and Maggart because they had played later, and I knew I'd qualified at even par. There's no way I wasn't going to get in. 
And Maggard Bradley are standing there shaking their heads. They go, boy, what a cluster. And I go, what are you guys talking about? And they said, well, they said that a bunch of guys played from the wrong tees. So we're going to have to requalify on Tuesday. And I said, what? And they said, yeah, they're talking about us. We've got to come back on Tuesday and try to qualify again. I said, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I said, what in the hell was going on here? Why don't they just disqualify the guys that played from the wrong tees? And they said, well, they're not going to do it. you got to come back on Tuesday. Well, so I'm pissed, to say the least. I, I find one of their officials, and he don't like me by the time the conversation's over, and I don't care. So we come back on the Tuesday, guys. Well, on Tuesday, the membership is now playing the golf course. <laughs> so we can't go off early. We got to go off later. And now there's no pull cards because all the members have taken the pull cards. And I'm looking around going, I'm thousands of miles from home. I'm mattering a wet hen. What am I going to do? You know? So I look up, think to myself, and I thought, well, look, when you were a kid, you played with what we call a beginner set, which is a three iron, a five iron, a seven iron, a nine iron. You throw a wedge in your bag, you take a driver and a putter. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, hell, I played the golf course. I know what clubs to hit. I'm going to put me together a beginner set. <laughs> so I take those clubs out of my golf bag, literally, guys. I take a sleeve of golf balls and a towel, and I head to the first tee. Well, I walk up on the first tee, and one of the guys I played with, we're playing the same group again, of course, and one guy was from Japan. He couldn't speak any English, none whatsoever. All they did is we nodded at each other all day. <laughs> and there was a guy from Phoenix, Arizona with me. And I walk up on the tee and I've got these clubs slung over my shoulder and I just throw them down on the ground. And he looks at me and goes, what the hell are you doing? I said, well, I can't carry that big staff bag. I won't make it. I'm not a caddy. I'm a golf pro. I said, I played the golf course. I'm going to play with just these clubs. He goes, that's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. And I said, well, I, I'm going to give it my best shot. That's the best chance I think I got. Well, about 13 holes into this round, guys, I'm seven under par. <laughs> for 13 holes. And all I'm doing is walking around just throwing these clubs down and fumbling through them until I find the club that I think right now I'll, I'll hit a shot. Well, <laughs> by the time we get to the 14th hole, the PGA official that I dreamed his ass the day before is in a golf cart watching me. So I finished that round of golf, boys, and shoot eight under par with seven golf clubs. <laughs> the guy from Phoenix says, I'm going home because I've got a full set and you just beat me by 12 shots. I'm, I don't belong in this league. <laughs> the guy from Japan thought I was a god because all he did was get all of his buddies around pointing over at me and showing how I was throwing my clubs down. And basically all I kept hearing was, wow. So I think he thought I was pretty special, too. But the PGA guy from Australia wasn't all that fired up. He calls me over to the side again. I thought, oh, geez, what a, what's this going to be? And he said, that was one fine round of golf, but I'm not sure we're going to let you play. I said, what? And he said, well, we think you're making a mockery of our tour by doing that. So we're not sure we're going to let you play in the golf tournament. What? I said, you're serious, the right? thing ever. Goes, Yeah, I'm serious. And I, I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I said, did I cheat in any way? 
was there anything about that round? Did anybody in my group say I was cheating in any way? He goes, no, no, we know you shot eight under, but you're embarrassing us. And I said, embarrassing you? Well, how about embarrassing? How about what you did yesterday when you morons <laughs> couldn't figure out how to get everybody to play from the same team? So anyway, we had a heated discussion, <laughs> at which point I said, I'll tell you what, dude, if I don't play as Royal Melbourne on Thursday, I will make it a point to write everybody I know in the United States and the world to tell you, tell them just how bunch of bogus this is, how big of idiots you all are. He said, well, we'll get back with you. Well, uh, when, I, when I got done, though, Bradley and Maggart were, they're just laughing. They said, only you, Woody, you crazy son of a bitch. Only you would do <laughs> And I said, well, long story short, they did let me play, guys. And I ended up finishing in the top 10 in the Coca-Cola Classic, okay, because so, I played some really good golf. <laughs> I played two more weeks. I probably told them to go, you know, F themselves, and I flew home. Well, the great <laughs> thing about that story is, guys, two years later, I'm in the Canadian Open, and I'm paired with Ian Baker Finch. And I introduced myself to Ian Baker Finch, who is from Australia, and he said, Woodward, holy shit. He said, you aren't the guy that two years ago played at the Coca-Cola Classic qualifying with seven clubs, were you? I said, yep, that'd be me. He goes, oh, my God, you're a god in Australia. (laughs) 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 We're talking about it to this day. So once again, Woody went to a whole other continent and left his mark before he went on about his way. So that is my Australian story that will – still go down in the annals. I guarantee you there's still somebody down there will tell you about it that will say, yeah, this crazy son of Buck, he was down here and he did this and that and that. I think the story got embellished. It, at one time it was five clubs, you know, and it, it was, no, it was seven clubs, a sleeve of ball, a towel and a glove. That's what it was. <laughs> Woody, that's straight out of 10 cup. Now, now tell oh. the people what the clubs were again that you picked. It, it was a three iron, a five iron, a seven iron, a nine iron, a wedge, a putter, and a drive. Guys, I'd played the golf course the day before, so I kind of knew what the clubs were, okay? So, it, it, as well as a cool story, but I kind of had a little bit of an advantage because I knew what I'd hit the day before, and... uh that's why I was telling you guys, having 14 clubs can sometimes be way overrated. There's too many decisions. With only seven, you don't have a lot of choices. So you just kind of pick one that you think is going to work. And I hit some little cuts. I hit some hard draws. I, But it was one of those days where I was on, too. I mean, it was the purest round of golf. I don't know if I ever missed a fairway. I never missed a green. Okay? I hit a bunch of them that were kickaways. It was like I said, the guy from Japan, I wish I knew what the hell he was saying. All I got out of it was wah. Wah. Now, now Woody, were you laying up? Were you laying up to like specific yardages and stuff like that? Well, you, you, being that the day before, the reason why I took the three iron is it was a tight golf course. So I knew the three iron off the tee would put me into a lot of seven irons and nine irons and five iron shots into the green. So yeah, there was only a few times I hit driver because on there were certain holes I knew if I hit driver I could hit my wedge and then if I hit driver I could get a three iron on a par five so yeah it was uh (laughs) 
it was just one of those uh, kind of interesting days, to say the least. <laughs> no doubt about so, it. Woody, did you think they were being serious when they came up to you and said that they weren't going to let you in the tournament? That's literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard anyone ever say. No, I, I, I thought they were kidding me. I really did. I thought they were going <laughs> to laugh. But the guy was just as serious as a heart attack, T-Dub. And that's, that's when I looked at them. I said, you're kidding, right? And he goes, no, we're not kidding. I thought, well, you guys have lost your ever-loving mind. I said, did I cheat? And they go, no, you didn't cheat, but we just don't like your attitude. I said, well, I don't like your attitude. (laughs) (laughs) I think to say the least, by the time I left Australia, I was an exempt player on the Australian tour, but I don't think they wanted me to stay. (laughs) I mean, I can only imagine, guys, if the Golf Channel had been out and the publications and all the Internet, everything that we have at this time, Oh, that that story would have gone down in in the history books beyond belief. Well, Woody, this story will live forever now here on the 73rd Hole Podcast. (laughs) Now, Woody, I think there's something to it, though. I think that whenever you get a golfer to the mental point where he doesn't have as many expectations as normal, and obviously when you tee it up with seven clubs, you're not going to have as many expectations. I think that there's something to be said for that, right? Oh, I, you know what I learned from it, guys, believe it or not. I learned a lot that day about how to manage a golf course and how to manage your golf game. And there is a lot to it. I, I would challenge our listeners one day to go out with a, uh, a half a set of golf clubs and try it. You know, Mike Holder used to make us play with one club. We had a tournament every year up at Lakeside. You had to go out and play with just one club. You had to play all nine holes with one club. What club did you pick? I think I took a six iron, okay? And a lot of guys were taking middle irons. And and the reason why is you can still get to a lot of greens and two with two six irons. You can always bump and run. I mind you, it's at Lakeside. I wouldn't try this at Oak Tree. Right. <laughs> you know, at Lakeside, you could bump and run and get the ball up around the green. And six irons were probably more difficult to putt with than anything else. But you could get your, you could navigate around the golf course pretty good with a six iron. You really could. Now, now, Woody. I mean, there's so many things about this that. I mean, you would never see in today's game, right? And and to me, I think the most impressive thing about this, Woody, is the fact that you had the balls to even do it in the first place, right? I mean, like, I, I'm honestly at a loss for words, T-Dub. I mean, you go ahead. I mean, I feel like we should be asking more questions, but I was not expecting this story from Woody today. Hey, guys, no, I, I'm in complete disarray. I mean, and there's something about me that's not shocked one bit because it's Woody, but there's true. one part of me that's just so shocked at the story that I can't believe. I do, well, like the fact, guys, I do like the fact that Woody just challenged our listeners to go shoot eight under with seven clubs. Well, I didn't challenge him to do that because I wouldn't want to try. I'm not sure I could ever do it again. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if I could, but. Guys, if you think about this, you, you, this is why you have to rationalize this in your mind. you got to go, well, I can't carry that staff bag for 18 holes. I'm going to be dead tired, okay, because it was hot. In Australia, in January and February, it's their summertime, okay? So when I say hot, I'm talking 100 degrees. 
it was miserable. And this golf course was tree lined and didn't get any air. I mean, I, I would have died if I'd have tried to take my whole bag and carry it around there. Now, a lot of people said to me, well, why didn't you just take out the other clubs and carry the bag with the seven in it? And to be honest with you, that was where I was kind of an asshole. I wanted to make a point. <laughs> Wait, I, I, I pictured I you only carrying the bag. So you weren't even carrying the bag? Oh, hell no. I had a towel and those seven clubs, <laughs> and I just I just walk up and throw them all on the ground and just drop them. You know, they'd climb, you know, and I'd, lit, I'd look down there and move my finger, you know, till I found the club I wanted, and then I'd hit the shot. Then I'd gather them up, wrap my towel around them, and off I'd walk. And, uh, you know. That makes so much more sense. Because I pictured you just carrying the bag with seven less clubs. And I'm like, that really can't be that much less light than no, yeah. no, no, just no, no. the 14th. That's what I pictured, no, too. No. <laughs> he was just out no, there the, actually the bag carrying was in them the around. Trunk. No, the bag was in the trunk. <laughs> the, only, the only thing that was a little ballsy, in my opinion, was I only had three balls. I only had three golf balls. <laughs> Where did you keep the golf balls? In your pocket? Yeah, yeah. I just had them in my pocket. And... and I was kind of pissed when I got done because I only needed one. I played with the same ball the whole day. I thought, why do I have these other two balls in my pocket? What a waste of time that were. So, no, it was uh, it was one of those kinds of deals. The guy from Phoenix was the funny guy because he was pissed at me. He wasn't making a joke when he said, I'm going home. <laughs> if, if, if I can't, you beat me by 12 or 15 shots. I don't know how bad I beat him. Beat by a lot because he shot like 75 or something. I don't know what he shot, but uh, he didn't play very good. He goes, I just got beat by 12 shots with a guy carrying seven clubs and a towel. He said, I'm I'm, I'm going home. I, I, I got no business playing professional golf. <laughs> I was like, no, dude, it was just it was one of those days. He goes, no, nah, bullshit. He says, I can't beat you. I couldn't beat you with a full set. You just wore me out with seven. I said, well, okay, we're going home. I was going to say, Woody, I have to ask a question about the first day on Monday. Like, how many people had to have played the wrong damn tees for them to say, come back the next day and every single person retry? I mean, it had to have been like 80% of the field. That's a good well, question. Was, I was wondering was how this happened more, as well. It was a, There was a lot more people that did than you'd think. What happened is they had another set of tee boxes. Some of them were further up than the ones we were playing. As a golf pro, you always know you're playing the back tee. Okay, well, the golf course, I guess, didn't take those other tee boxes out. And there were some guys that went to the wrong tee because there was a couple holes that you cut across. The back tee would be a quite a bit further back and they just see a tee and they went and teed off. Now, keep this in mind, guys, you're in a foreign country. So you're in you're in a situation where they're running the golf tournament. Well, most of the guys qualifying were from where? Australia. They weren't from America. They didn't care about us. They could give one rat to it if we played. So, lots of those guys played from the wrong tees. They didn't play every hole from the wrong tee, but they did play enough that it skewed the round, and they just called it. Unbelievable, Woody. My favorite part about that story is Ian Baker Finch coming up to Woody and saying, Woodward, you're a god in Australia. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Oh, and Woody makes a good point because if he did it today in social media, he would be a god in around the yeah. world, oh, yeah. not just Woody, Australia. You would be you would be Twitter famous for sure. Oh, I know. I mean, you could 
I guarantee you could if you could find Jeff Maggard or Michael Bradley, if you could find that guy from Phoenix, Arizona that I just ruined his life, he'd be he'd be he'd be going, This is the damnest thing I'd ever seen. Let alone the guy from Japan. Who knows what he went home and told him. <laughs> oh boys. Well they I are- was just the crazy crazy Oklahoman is what they called me. They said the crazy Oklahoma and let me tell you something, when I was in the hunt at the Coca-Cola Classic, well, of course, the press down there jumped all over it, okay? And that's why the Australian PGA wanted me to go away. This guy needs to go away because if you think I'm a loose cannon at 65, what do you think I was at 31? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the most impressive part about that story, Woody, is probably the fact that after all of that, you go and finish top 10 in the actual golf tournament. Oh yeah, I was I was on a mission, man. I, I was on a mission, <laughs> and uh, I ended up getting one of those hats that uh, you, you've seen them where the side of it comes up down there in Australia. I don't even know what they call them. They're a, a outback hat or something like that. So yeah. I I wore this goofy hat the whole week too that had the flap pulled up, and <laughs> oh yeah, I was on a mission to say the least. I was on a mission to make make them pay. Oh, that is beautiful. No, 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 Woody, when you got to play a rural Melbourne tournament, as you said earlier, of course you'd want to play forever. Were you focused more on the golf or were you more focused on trying to stick it to the Australian PGA? Oh, no. By then, I was focused on playing golf. I was, I, I was so excited to get to play Royal Melbourne. Uh, that, that was just, you know, icing on the cake to stick it to the PGA. I, you know, the last thing I didn't want to do is go to Royal Melbourne and play bad or miss the cut or something like that. I had no earthly idea I'd finish in the top ten, but uh, I, I think golf gods took care of me there, boys. I, I, I truly believe in the golf gods. And that I think that's the reason I shot eight under with seven clubs. That's the reason why I finished in the top ten. I think the golf gods, too, were saying, well, this boy deserves a hell of a week, and it, and they gave it to me. The golf gods welcomed you in. Even Ian Baker Finch called Woody a golf god after that yeah. round in Australia. Guys, let's get to the uh, 2022 Fortinet Australian PGA Championship at Royal Queensland Golf Club in Brisbane, Australia. We have Cameron Smith as your favorite this week at plus 350, Adam Scott at plus 900. Now, before we get to this actual golf tournament, guys, you know, T-Dub, I'll ask you first. Do you think it's time that we got to stop talking about Cameron Smith as, you know, one of the best putters of our generation and probably one of the best players of our era? And then we start talking about the fact that, you know, Adam Scott, Greg Norman, Cameron Smith, does Cameron Smith have the potential to be the GOAT from Australia, Tito? It would be pretty tough, wouldn't it, for him to, to surpass Greg Norman. But I'll tell you, with everything that Norman's done off of the course, it may honestly lead to that. But going back to your initial question, absolutely, I think he has to be included best players of our generation, just because like you think of the best putters ever. You think of like Brad Faxon, Lauren Roberts, Ben Crenshaw. Ben Crenshaw was better than those other two, but those other two, they were so bad at ball striking that, that they never got put into the upper echelon of golfers. But Cam Smith isn't necessarily the best driver off the tee, but he's got such great uh, short game and one of the best iron players on tour as well. So Absolutely, Willie. I think that Cam Smith is at the point to where, yes, his putting is by far his best attribute, I would think, but uh, every other aspect of his game is rock-ass solid. 
you know, there's been a lot of guys from Australia, boys, that have been pretty doggone good at golf. Uh, and it won quite a few majors. Peter Thompson, I'm dating myself, but how about Elkington, won a PGA. Uh, you've got Norman, you've got Scott. You, you've got a number of individuals from Australia that have made their mark. David Graham's another name, won a U.S. Open, played probably one of the finest rounds ever at a U.S. Open. So uh, Australia's been putting out great golfers for years. This Cam Smith is just unique. He He's not like any of those other guys because all those other guys I was talking to you about are great swingers of the golf club. They had beautiful golf swings for unbelievable golf ball strikers. Uh, Cam Smith, when you talk about him, you don't necessarily say, boy, this guy's a heck of a ball striker. He's good, but he doesn't even come close to all those other guys I was mentioning. Um, but can he be the GOAT? Uh, time will tell. I do not know. It, it, a lot of people will say there's no way because he went to the list, gentlemen. Uh, they'll they'll put that that asterisk on him and they'll put that stereotype that he's not really playing real golf anymore. And I hate that. That's another reason why I hope these two figure it out and that they all get on the same page and everybody plays worldwide golf again. If that happens, he has a chance, but. I knew very few guys that putted great their whole lives, okay? Crenshaw was probably the only guy I knew that could still roll his rock at 50-something like he could at 20-something. Putting, I just don't think you can putt great for your whole career. Uh, I really don't. I think you go through peaks where you're really good. Tiger was one that was as good as they get. But uh, somebody gave me a stat the other day, and I'll throw this out to you guys. How many... From six feet in his career, Tiger Woods, how many times do you think percentage-wise his percentage of making six-footers for his career is? So a six-footer, you're roughly about 65-70% on the tour. Uh, That's tour average. I'll go 79%. Yeah, as far as making six-footers on the tour, it's just – I mean, Tiger's – Obviously, the greatest of all time at it, but it's lower than you probably think. I might even go a little lower than T-Dub. I'll go 68%. Where they get you guys on this question, because I went the same way. I went I went 70-something percent. His career from six feet is 48%. Uh, wow. That is crazy. Can you believe that? But, but That's exceptionally low. When you think about a career, guys, a career is not when we want we all remember tiger making everything Mm -hmm. everything has he made everything the last seven eight years no he hasn't you're right no he hasn't And, and that's where they get you on that that's why that's a trick question now if you said what was tiger's percentage from let's say 1999 to 2006 I bet you it is about seventy something percent. Thank God, it might be even higher than that. Right. I but, mean, Tiger even had like a four-year spam where he didn't miss inside of four feet. No kidding. That's what I was getting ready to say. Career is where they they get you. They they trick you on this deal. With a career is where they get you. Okay. So for our amateur golfers out there listening, 
that's why I, I'm always amazed when somebody's 10 feet from the hole and they miss. They go, I can't believe I missed that putt. <laughs> well, I can't believe you can't believe you missed that putt. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just played in a pro-am with four amateurs, and the, these guys were so unrealistic. And that's why they would want to knock back three footers and give them to their buddy, you know, and I wouldn't let them. I said, no, you got to putt that. Well, I can make this. Well, then make it. And you know what? A lot of times they did, they missed them. And they go, well, yeah. bro, we were giving it to ourselves. I said, well, you can't give it to you. We're in a golf tournament, guys. We can't do that. I said, now, if it's six inches, I might give it to you. But three feet, I'm not going to give you a three-footer. you got to putt it. And and very seldom did they make them when I made them putt them, guys. That was what was funny that last week when we were out there in Tucson. So, Come on, amateur golfers out there. You're going to miss a lot more than you're going to make. I'm just telling you. No doubt about it, guys. And I just kind of want to draw that question that I asked back, uh, talking about Cam Smith and Adam Scott and Greg Norman. You know, obviously, Cam Smith would have a long way to go, especially now that he's unlived, but, you know, a a long way to go to be the top player in the world. I won't say the the number one player in official world golf ranking. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. But what I will say is Cam Smith is only one British Open away from Greg Norman and one Masters away from Adam Scott. And so I don't think it's necessarily out of the question. Maybe the question should be, you know, who will end their career with more majors? Because I think obviously Cam Smith has the minerals to end his career with three majors. So I think it's kind of an interesting question. Greg Norman probably, you know, what Rory said, like, what is it, you know, a million weeks at world number one or whatever he was saying uh, back in the day. And so, you know, I, what do you guys think about that? And maybe that's the question we should start asking. Yeah, I definitely think that would be posed because Norman was been such a letdown in majors. He had probably as many close to as many second runner ups as Jack Nicholas did because he was there so much. But right. where you mentioned the OWGR where it comes out is Greg Norman was world number one for like 331 weeks or something like that. Right. So it's, and, and I get it's a different era, and now with Cameron Live, that's going to be extremely hard for him to do unless they change uh, the point system. But, yeah, if he can supplant the major status, and especially this year, if he would have been able to, to close out the Open and somehow been able to, to make a bigger run at Scotty at the Masters, I think it would even propel it even more if he would have been able to get that green jacket. So, yeah, the, the majors is 100% what this debate is going to come down to in, in, over the next uh, couple of decades or so. Worldwide, worldwide victories. Uh, that's what Norman was known for as much as anything. He, he won around the world a lot more than he won on the PGA Tour. But if Cam goes out and wins four majors, five majors, uh, then all of a sudden you got to really look around and go, yeah, he probably would be the best. Well, one of the top three, in my opinion, Australian golfers of all time is in the field this week. Cam Smith, Adam Scott, uh, Cam Davis, and Minwoo Lee. And guys, I want to take a look at Ryan Fox, who is your fifth favorite this week at plus 1,200. And Ryan Fox, the last five times, guys, that Ryan Fox has teed it up, He's finished a first, a missed cut, a tied for fourth, a solo second, and a solo 19th. And so I think that Ryan Fox this week at plus 1,200 is your best bet. You can get the best odds on a guy that I legitimately think has a chance to win this golf tournament, T-Dub. I 100% agree. I, I love Ryan Fox's game. I love Ryan Fox's game really even towards the, the start of this year. He 
had a sprint, you mentioned how he's done lately on the on the DP World Tour, but even middle of the year he had a phenomenal run, a win, fifteenth, ninth, eighth, second. Uh, had a had a second in there between the two majors where he didn't play very well. So that's really the only downfall I would think to Ryan Fox's uh, year that he had. But yeah, he's been playing so well as ball striking, especially the last three weeks, has been exceptional. So yeah, I would definitely. Uh, put a little bit of money on Ryan Fox to win the tournament, especially at those odds at what was it, twenty two to one or something like that. So I mean, that's a that's a pretty hefty return on investment. Yeah, and another guy in this golf tournament, T Dub, is James Marchesani, and he played his college golf at OCU here in Oklahoma City. Played out at uh, at Oak Tree National for the years right after he got out of college and then is back in Australia, but he's in this field, T-Dub. Tell me a little bit about James Marchesani's game because he's a guy that had a bunch of talent in college and, and it just shows how tough it is to really make it in professional golf. Yeah, James was at Oklahoma City about the same time that I was at the Oklahoma Christian. He's a little bit older than me, but I played a decent amount of golf with him. He's just such a phenomenal player. Ball striking is superb, and the best thing he does, he hits the ball a mile but he hits his long irons, long to mid irons, so exceptionally well, which is one of the reasons why I would have honestly thought that he would have had a little bit more success than he has up to this point. But, uh, you know, as, as you just mentioned, it's extremely hard to do. He's still only probably only 32, 33 years old. So he, he's not very old. He's still got plenty of time. But uh, it's just definitely hard to do. But the kid definitely has the talent. So uh, if he makes a little bit of run at the leaderboard this week, would not shock me one bit. Yeah, and what do you, the the other big name in this golf tournament that we haven't mentioned is Mark Leishman down there at plus two thousand to win the golf tournament, and obviously he made the jump to Live right before Live Boston, but he hasn't had much success on Live. Only one top ten in Bangkok, and before he went to Live, he had you know three missed cuts in a row and a tie for sixty fourth and a tie for twenty eighth. Something is wrong with Mark Leishman's game, Woody. And it seems to be the iron play. Is there anything when you have watched Mark Leishman on the live that, that might, you know, call for some changes with the irons? You know, it's hard to say, Sam. I, I, this is a guy that has always been a little streaky. He comes and goes when you least expect it. He, he was always a, a very streaky putter, in my opinion. His golf swing, when I watch it, it doesn't look like it's changed. Um, I think you might have a guy here that there was something in his life that was a little bit different or uh, maybe he was wanting to spend more time at home because one of the toughest things for any professional athlete, when you have children, you miss a lot of things. And as these kids grow up, you get to thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not going to get to ever see that again. And if I keep missing all this stuff, no matter how good a golfer I am, one day I'm going to wake up and they're going to be grown and gone and I'm going to miss their whole childhood. So I always like to look at a guy like a leashman. And I think there's just some other factors in his life that are more important to him now than playing golf. And and you know what? That's okay. I, I don't knock a guy for that. If he wants to be home more and he wants to see his kids grow up, I think that's more what's going on with Mark Leishman than anything to do with his golf swing, boys. I think it's between his ears. Yeah, and T-Dub, if I look at the stats, especially on uh, strokes gained approach, it's almost like you can directly correlate it to when he started talking with Liv because his iron play really 
you know, took a downswing around the Memorial and then the U.S. Open. He had a good tournament. And then maybe right after the U.S. Open, T-Dub, Liv started talking to him. And uh, he hasn't gained shots on the field, strokes gained approach, since the U.S. Open. And so maybe it could be something at home. But also maybe it could be him, you know, kind of worrying about what people might say about him if he went to live. And then, it, you know, he hasn't really gotten it back since he went to live, right? I think everything we just mentioned is on the table. And also, too, long as iron play a short game, his around the green has gotten a lot worse as well. But something that's interesting, I go back here and look at Leishman, is really going back to 2019, every year since then, he started out the year exceptionally well. And, and then towards the end of every year, he got worse. So maybe it's just the timing of the year thing as well, where all this kind of correlated to he starts playing worse at the end of the year and the live and everything that that's, that's compounded onto that. I think there's a lot going on, and there was actually a, a pretty uh, good article. I can't remember where it was. Off the top of my head, I was reading it talking about Mark Leishman, how he's outside the top 50 now, so he's not projected to be in the field at the Masters. I don't even think a win at this tournament would propel him into the top 50 because he's 71 in the world right now. It very well may, but the, the field rating here this week is like 58 or something, so it's not very exceptionally high. But, uh, but yeah, it's at a point now to where Leishman, unless he starts playing a little bit better, he's going to be on the tail end of his career, and uh, we're going to start missing him at all these major championships going forward. No doubt about it, and he is kind of like a Louis Eustazen type of guy where I could see him, you know, obviously Mark Leishman, you know, loves his lawn and his Leishman lager. I could see him kind of taking some more uh, time off as far as the reason why he went to live, like the, the time off is the reason why he went, so I think Woody is right on the money when he mentions that. And speaking of live and Australia, guys, we'll end this segment with this. Um, as of Monday, approximately 35,500 tickets have been sold for the 2023 Live Golf event in South Australia to be held at the Grange Golf Club in April. And guys, that number is very surprising to me. Live has kind of hit their numbers as far as streaming goes, T-Dub, but they haven't necessarily hit their numbers that they were expecting to hit as far as in-person attendance. And so it sounds like Australia is a place that Liv will be banking on uh, to maybe be their biggest crowd yet. We were kind of talking about this a little bit uh, before the show, but I I think it's even more prevalent of, you know, Australia is one of those really, really rich golf countries that, that really doesn't get to see a lot of the elite players go play there. Um, besides the guys who are local there, like the Greg Normans and all the, the Adam Scott, the players that we mentioned earlier, you know, when you mention all the great Americans that they go play down there, Tiger played maybe two or three times in Australia down there. And he used to play in New Zealand a couple of times in the early 2000s. But still, that would be maybe once every few years. And, and now you'd have all the great field and all the great players that are at live. And the the fact that with Greg Norman and Cam Smith, and they've already got such a big Australian uh, pool when it comes to the live players, I think it's an exceptional market for them to hit. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked if going forward they have multiple uh, Australian events, maybe upwards of three or four, because I think down there they're going to have extreme amounts of success. No doubt about it, guys, and I lied. There's one more thing, T-Dub, that I want to talk about, and that's Stevie Williams coming out of retirement uh, to caddy for Adam Scott in Australia. Is there anything else to this story that makes you think that Stevie Williams might come back to caddy for Adam Scott if he goes to live? It's an interesting talking point, um, and it's something that I guess people could could go into. I, I don't know 
and, and I was thinking about this before too, and, and this is how I feel with a lot of live guys because they haven't, like even Mito Pereira, who we pictured in, at the Sergio uh, clinic, isn't even official yet. So they haven't even named, live hasn't named any new players that are going over there. So at this point, I'm literally just saying until I hear someone is officially going, I'm yep. not going to buy into it because if they haven't gone yet, what is the reason for it? There literally is none. There's no PJ Tour event going on right now. This would be the time to jump. So it, it makes no sense if he was going to go. Why not? Maybe Stevie's just bored out of retirement, wants to come caddy for a couple weeks. But, uh, but yeah, it, I, I guess I would say that I wouldn't be completely shocked if that's the reason that Stevie's coming back. Woody, do you have any thoughts on Stevie Williams maybe going to, uh, to live with Adam Scott? That seems to be a rumor on Twitter. I can't imagine why he'd want to come back and caddy if he wasn't going to make some serious money doing it. And I'm not saying he can't with Adam Scott, but let's be honest, guys. Adam Scott has not lit up the PGA Tour in a while, uh, not by any stretch of imagination. So um, I am like T-Dub. You know what? We've got still the whole month of December for something to happen, but Liv did tell us they were going to have some more other big announcements coming before the end of the year. So um, I guess we'll eat our Thanksgiving dinner and we'll wait. That's what we're going to do. No doubt about it, guys. And speaking of Thanksgiving dinner, we will have our Thanksgiving foods ranking right here on the 73rd Hole podcast right after the break. So stay with us and also give us a follow on Twitter at the 73rd Hole and at 73rd Hole on Instagram as well. We'll be back right after this short break here from McCray Roofing. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Definitely go get all of your local golf news from Golf Oklahoma. Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a great job up in Tulsa. And Woody, why don't you tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank? Well, I, I was talking to Mark Davenport the other day. They, he said, make sure you tell all the listeners that Quail Creek Bank wants to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas and the holiday season. Doesn't mean banking is stopping, though. Let's just say that, guys. They're still doing their thing at Quail Creek Bank. If, if if by the end of the year you're looking for a new bank, hey, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, go to Quail Creek Bank because it's the best bank in Oklahoma City. If you need a small business loan, you need a home loan, they're there for you. 
So they want everybody to have a happy holiday. But if you need banking, Coil Creek Bank, 50 years in business, they're the best. No doubt about it, guys. And the other, you know, golf course that is the best is Augusta National. And we had some big news coming from Nuclear Golf, who got this picture. It looks like from a satellite of Augusta National. Eureka Earth, I think, is the website that they got this picture from. Um, And it shows that number 13 and the new tee box about 50 yards back is done, guys. What are your thoughts on this picture? And if you're listening to this, just Google or search it on Twitter, uh, you know, Augusta National lengthening number 13, and it'll pop up. And this picture is honestly amazing. It looks completely different. It's extremely cool, isn't it, guys? And it just proves how when Augusta wants something done, they're just going to get it done. And it's going to be... Exceptional. I mean, they had to buy land to make all this happen. I know this has been something that's been in the works now, but uh, it's finally come to light. And I'm just interested to see how this actually is going to change it because I want to be able to go back into the back and see exactly how much corner those guys are going to be able to cut off because especially with with the exception of the left-handed players, if you're a right-handed player, it's going to be really hard to sling a driver um, from from that far back. Uh, Maybe some guys are long enough can hit a three-wood still around that corner. But uh, that's the main thing I'm interested in because it looks like it's about probably 30 yards further back and with those trees hanging over what would be the left side when you're driving off. I think it's good. The Woody, I think the hole's going to play a lot more similar to what it was initially designed to uh, to, to do. Well, what they're going to have to do now, T-Dub, is they're going to have to shoot at the trees through the fairway and turn it there. Uh, I think a lot of them are going to have to hit drivers just to get to the corner. So what you're going to have is, Oh, quite a bit of a different shot coming in. They're going to make you hit something like a, a five wood, seven wood, longer irons into that green. But uh, what always amazes me is I, I think there's more satellite photographs trying to be taken of Augusta National than the guy shooting rockets in North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> every every swinging dog wants a picture of that golf course. So, um, and and. Why wouldn't they? Augusta is so iconic and so amazing. But I think I think T-Dub, I think that's more like forty or fifty yards back in there because well, you're probably right. In all honesty, looking more at because the, the the camera's so high is is what makes it look like. Yeah, it's not it makes that it far. look like it's shorter. But it's I think it's back there a ways. I'll tell you that. That's why I think it's going to take a pretty good shot just even think about getting it to the corner and then turning it. I think the Rory McIlroy's of the world, the really long hitters are still probably going to hit three woods from back there, but I might, they might not, they might have to hit drivers. So uh, I always kind of worry when they do stuff like that at Augusta, because you know, when they changed 15 and backed it up as far as they did, you know, last year there were no Eagles on 15. Yeah. I didn't like that. I didn't want to do it. You know, that back nine, that's where all that happens. And if you take the par fives and you turn them into just normal par fives, I don't know. You know, here I am dating myself again. I'm I'm sure viewers or our listeners are going to go, he's just an old fogey. No, I'm not. I just like history. No, I like history too, Woody. Now, where I think that 13 and 15 are different – 
is it's less of a risk to go for 13, even with this back tee box. I feel like most of the guys will still be able, if they hit the fairway, to get to 13-2. and two. And so I think it almost brings a little bit more of risk-reward into it, whereas when they move 15 back it took the risk-reward out of it because the risk wasn't worth the reward anymore, right? I think you're right. I, I, I do agree with that, Sam. The second shot into 15 is much more penal than the second shot into 13. 13, even though it's got Race Creek Garnet right there, um, they've got a little bit of a backstop and a way to hit it long and still make birdie. At 15, you cut it short, you're going in the water, and if you go long, you're going in the water a lot of times. So... It's a much more um, treacherous shot on 15 with a long club than it ever will be on 13. So you're right. I just, I worry. I, I wish at least one of the rounds they'd play 15 up a little bit where there's I agree. The, more of a potential magnet. I, I totally agree with that, Woody. And, you know, T-Dub, Woody mentioned history. Uh, I, I don't I, think they can play it up, guys, because they took the T-Box out. Well, they can always put another tee well, box in. Go. It's Augusta National. We but, might but see a tee box next year. But they never do that, though. We, it, well, in, in other years, they could, but there's zero chance this next year they'll play it up one round because there literally isn't a tee On 15, I feel like you have to, though. You have. I, I totally agree with what Woody's saying, but to me, talking about 13, Woody mentioned the history of it. And I feel like it might bring a little bit more of the history back into it instead of having guys just bombing it over the corner, hitting nine iron in. Right, T-Dub? Well, uh, and what, what year was it? Was it 2012 or 2014? I can't remember the year that uh, Bubba took it over the I corner on that hole. had literally in 2012, yeah. But, and, he, and he had literally a, a lob wedge in. And I think at that point everyone said, okay, this is a little, because also, too, you know, you weren't able to hit the ball high enough to get over the trees. And now with it being back at the corner, you have to work it from right to left. And with the modern drivers, it's so much harder to, to hook it, which is why even the, the lefties would have a little bit more of an advantage on that hole, I feel like, even compared to what they had in the past. Because even someone like Rory could just blast it over the, the, the corner of the, the trees, just blast it um, almost into 14 fairway in a sense. So I, I think that this new design is going to be, as long as it's not like last year where it's really cold and the wind is directly going into the hole, which is kind of what happened to 15 last year, which is why no one was able uh, really to go for it. So I, I think there's a lot of weather things that need to come into play. But uh, right. I think over the course of the next 10 or 15 years, it, uh, the change at 13 will overall be a success. Yeah, and the other thing that the last thing that I wanted to mention is is there a chance that we might see more three woods from that back tee box just because if you hit driver it's harder to kind of turn it right to left and they might go through the fairway where you're taking a farther left line from that farther up tee box. Woody, is there a chance that we might see more three woods actually uh, from the farther back tee box now? I will I will go out on a limb and tell you that this year before Augustus played. Let's just say there'll be a lot more practice shots hit from 13T than ever in the past. Yeah. They've never seen it. They have never been back that far. So I think they're going to, I think it's going to be work in progress, Sam. And I think they'll figure it out. They're, they're, they're golf pros for a reason. Uh, but very true that a three wood is easier to turn than a driver. We all know that because the loss of the club. So if they have the link, that's why I was talking about Rory and a couple of those other guys out there that have the link. They probably will hit the three woods so they can turn the golf ball a little bit more. 
No doubt about it, guys. There was some big news that dropped this past week in the game of golf. That's the 2022 PIP rankings, and that's what we talk about all year as far as, you know, the Google hits and the Twitter hits and the Instagram hits, all the social media uh, presence that these players have, and that's basically what these rankings are, and we've heard some changes to it as well. But the, the top 10 goes like this, T-Dub. It goes Tiger, Rory, Speed, JT, John Rahm, uh, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Will Zalatoris, and Tony Finau. Now, there's one guy missing that played his basically all year on the PGA Tour that I feel like they should have at least compensated a little bit, and that's Cam Smith. I guarantee you Cam Smith would have been in that top ten. Yeah, that's uh, – and PJ Tour not want to give players money for that. I mean, that's I guess that's up to them, but I completely agree that they probably should have. But one thing I like about this is we at least have a little bit know the criteria of kind of what we're wanting or at least see the, some rankings for it. You have the – the, essentially how much TV exposure they have, Google searches, uh, how much they're mentioned in media articles, um, the Q score, which is the general awareness of the U.S. population, which I don't know how they track that, but that's uh, pretty cool. Then MVP index, which is reach, conversation, and engagement metrics. So we at least have rankings for all that. Someone interesting, like we were talking about earlier with Jason Day, he really didn't rank high in many, in many metrics, but he ranked uh, fifth in the Q score, which was the awareness of the population, which bolted him up into 18th. So that got him, what, $2 bucks or something like that. So that's uh, pretty cool to see Jason Day not only get his game back, but the people still know who he is. So some interesting things on this list, Woody, that I didn't expect to see. That list is mind-boggling to me that they're throwing that kind of money out there. Um, Merry Christmas to those guys. Um, I, I think that no matter how you cut the game of golf, to keep your name – on that list, you got to have to play good at some point, uh, unless you're Tiger, but she played good for so long. Um, I think that the awareness of a name is big, and, and if they find a way to give them a little bonus, that's cool. I, I, I think this is a great idea by the PGA Tour. Uh, I wish they hadn't have been forced to do it, but um, now that they are, I think everything they're doing is good from that standpoint. Yeah, but we've heard Woody and T-Dub a lot about, you know, now it's $100 million, right? Well, that's not the kind of money that's going to keep these guys around. It's a nice bonus for these guys, but if Liv comes offering, they're going to offer a whole lot more than what they're making off the PIP. And I say $100 million, that's split between 20 guys, right? And so, to me, it's kind of a pointless little deal, at least to me. I think the bigger question is is that we all of a sudden the PJ Tour gets a little bit of competition. All of a sudden we can just pull out a hundred million dollars to give to the top players. Right. That's what I want to know. Where the where's this hundred million dollars come from? Where's it been for the last twenty or thirty years? They just magically made it up out of nowhere. I mean, they just grew it off of trees. That's what I want to know is why does it take something like this for players to at least get compensation that at least it's proven up to this point that they deserve. Yeah, and Woody, I also think that it's kind of a joke that uh, – here, I'll read off 11 through 20. So it goes Morikawa, uh, Lowry, Kisner, Max Homa, Billy Horschel, Ricky Fowler, Adam Scott, Jason Day, Cantlay, and Hovland. Uh, shout out to Hovland getting in the top 20 right there. 
Um, but I think it is kind of a joke that you have some guys that played, you know, the majority of the year last year on the PGA Tour and they don't even get compensated uh, through something that they signed up for before the year. So I, I don't know. It, it just seems like kind of a big joke to me. I don't know. I, I understand where you're coming from, thinking that it's a cool deal that the PGA Tour does as far as bonuses and Merry Christmas, but uh, it, it just ca- kind of falls on uh, deaf ears to me. Well, it. It is a little bogus that all of a sudden we got all this stuff appearing. Um, but competition is good, guys, and we've said that all along. And anybody that doesn't like competition, uh, that's fine. I mean, everybody gets a trophy in their world. I guess they're woke, as they call it. I don't even know what the word means. But competition is good. So, yes, this is kind of a you're right in a lot of ways. It's kind of bogus. Oh, all of a sudden we're going to give them all this $100 million. But they're they're reacting. They're trying to react to a challenge from somebody else. So uh, all they're doing is, you remember that there was a nursery around about the guy sticking holes, a finger in the holes of a dam that's leaking? Well, the PGA Tour, you guys got to give them credit. You, you might not want to. But they, they've stuck a lot of fingers in a lot of holes of their dam that had leaks. So uh, can they keep doing it, or will they figure a way to build a better dam? I don't know. But so far, they've done everything they can to kind of swell the, the left tour. And, um, of course, 2023 is coming right around the corner, boys. So we're going to have a lot to talk about again. I can't wait. Yeah, and T-Dub, my last question here about the PIP is we've heard a lot of John Rahm being upset with the PGA Tour, and if I'm John Rahm, I'm upset again. I'm saying, how in the world are Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas ahead of me on this list, right? I I feel like the PIP might have offended John Rahm. Well, it's just, yeah, it's interesting to see how they break down the categories because they have a ranked tier from each player and where they ranked, and like Tiger, he ranked first in every category except the one where you're on, uh, t- which have how much TV exposure you get. And he was 41st because he never played any tournaments. So it's like, well, if you're going to average out those five, obviously Tiger wouldn't have been number one. But those other categories must have outweighed the others so much that uh, it, it made it higher. And so one of the things you look at it is the Q score, which was uh, the awareness of the population. Oh, well, you know him, and you got first, second for Tiger and Rory. Uh, Spieth and Thomas were third and fifth, and Rom was down at 13th. So, for whatever reason, it seems like the general amount of uh, population, maybe just the uh, people who aren't just avid golfers, don't necessarily know John Rom's name. Whatever reason that may be, I'm not sure, but uh, it seems like that was the thing that was holding them back from getting in that top uh, three or four. And then, Woody, to kind of wrap this up, I'll kind of ask you about uh, Scotty Scheffler. I mean, what does the guy have to do to finish in the top five of the PIP? All he did was be the hottest golfer for half the year and win the Masters. I mean, my goodness. A lot of people really didn't know who Scotty Scheffler was. And and when you guys were talking about John Rom, I think a lot of Americans don't like Rom. Uh, I, I, I think that's part of his problem. And, and I'm not sure why. Um, he's he brash. I mean, I mean, we saw his he's answer to my question at the PGA when I asked, "Was was Mexico the confidence boost you needed?" And he said, "I don't think I need a confidence boost, Sam." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's a little arrogant. You know, a little he, bit. He's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. That's an understatement. And, and you know, uh, Americans are funny. They sometimes uh, love a guy with a chip on his shoulder, and then other times they they don't like him. Scotty Scheffler, I think deserve to be higher than Jordan Spieth. 
this year. But, you know, Jordan Spieth is one of those guys that people like. Uh, Ricky Fowler. People like Ricky Fowler. People like Justin Thomas. Uh, so those guys are always going to be up there simply because they're like, okay? So um, if you're going to pay a lot of money just as a popularity contest, then it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Sam. It's kind of bogus, but it is what it is, guys. No doubt about it, guys. Let's get into our Thanksgiving food draft. Now, this isn't going to be a draft. We'll just name our top five Thanksgiving foods. And T-Dub, I'm curious to hear uh, Woody's story that he brought up yesterday. Now, Woody, you mentioned that you eat a pretty peculiar food on Thanksgiving. Let us know what that is and why in the world you eat that. Okay, guys, now here's our here's our life's lessons that I'm going to try to give to you, too, again, because I'm the older of the bunch by a lot, okay? This is one of these things that through our podcast, I'm going to hope to educate you guys. My, my turkey dinner is no longer existing on Thanksgiving. Now, when I was first married, the one thing you guys have already figured out, it's all about your wife, okay? Your wife's family is who matters. Your family is just second fiddle, okay? And for years, I had to go eat turkey at my my family's house, so I had to eat a big turkey dinner at my ex-wife's family's house, okay? That was really miserable after the day was over. I ate way too much. So once I got remarried again, my kids moved away. I've got one list still in Oklahoma City, one's in Denver. Um, Thanksgiving just didn't become important. Uh, I know that sounds stupid, but it didn't. It just moved on to bigger and better things. And so what we do, my wife and I, we have wontons. Now, for those of you that don't know what a wonton is, it's just a little wrapped, uh, like a small taco, like that you fold over with either pork or hamburger meat and cabbage and a bunch of spices and hot sauce and wasabi. It's not about Thanksgiving, I can promise you that, because I don't know of one pilgrim that shot a wonton, okay? So, so, but it is what we do, and that's what I wanted you guys to understand, that there'll be a day that you will be hopefully married for many, many years. You will have kids, which will have grandkids and all sorts of fun stuff. But you can kind of do something different. You can you can branch out. So uh, whereas I still love turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes and deviled eggs, all those crazy things you eat, I save that for Christmas, and I do wontons for Thanksgiving. So shoot me if you want, but that's what I do. <laughs> so Woody's list is wontons, T-Dub, but I'm going to give you my Thanksgiving food list here. Number one on my list, I'll go from number five. Number five to me, and this is kind of a newer one for me because my wife's mom makes this, shout out to Shelly, broccoli rice casserole, and it is the most delicious casserole you will, you will ever eat. I'm not a big green bean casserole guy. Sweet potato casserole is terrible to me. And then number four, T-Dub, on my list, it might be a little controversial here, 
but brown gravy. Brown gravy will go on anything. I wish we ate brown gravy more often. I don't know why, you know, we don't eat it in everyday foods because brown gravy is so much better than white gravy. It's unbelievable. And then number three, I have turkey. Now, the reason why I have turkey at number three and not number one is because we do eat it at all times of the year, T-Dub. It's, it's one of those foods that's kind of a staple in American culture. So, it's bumped down from number one to number three just because, you know, it's more consistent than the other ones. And then number two, we have stuffing. Stuffing is just a staple when it comes to Thanksgiving. And and the moist, I know a lot of people are going to hate that word, but the moist stuffing is absolutely the best stuffing. And then at number one, the all-time goat is mashed potatoes, T-Dub. Mashed potatoes. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, well, you bump turkey down because we eat it all the time. Why aren't you bumping mashed potatoes down? It's because on Thanksgiving, we eat mashed potatoes, T-Dub, with brown gravy. Now, what are your thoughts on my list? And then give me your list. So, I, I, I will agree with the with the brown gravy. The, the brown gravy is exceptional. but And I will say this is kind of why I, I, I love the mashed potatoes and I love the turkey, but I kind of flip-flop with the, that's one of the reasons why the turkey is a little bit higher because you have the brown gravy with it during the festivities, which makes right. it better than any time during the year. I really don't eat turkey much on that. But the number one thing I do have to say about your list, Sam, the fact that you just came on to broccoli cheese casserole and you're 25 years old means you missed it out on about 25 years of some really good eating. I know, and I'm sad and about it. Broccoli cheese casserole it is the absolute best. I mean, it, broccoli cheese casserole is number one on my list. And, and it's almost a distant first because that is some exceptionally uh, good stuff. I'll go with the turkey number two for the brown gravy, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I'm going to go with, and th- this can vary depending on where you get it, but if you get some nice homemade rolls on, on Thanksgiving with some nice butter with a little honey, it- it's really hard to beat that combination. So I'm going to go with the rolls okay. number three. I'll, then I'll go with the mashed potatoes number, actually I will go with the mashed potatoes number five. And I will go number four with the green bean casserole. The green bean casserole is absolutely where it's at. Put some of the uh, the fried onions on top of it, the little crispy deals on there. So that's ex- actually where it's at. Some people will say, why the hell isn't stuffing in your top five? Stuffing would definitely be in the top probably eight, seven or eight, something like that. But uh, to crack the top five, got to be on the exceptional list here. And I feel like those other categories just kind of outbeat the stuffing just a little bit. Now, Woody, back in the day when you used to eat Thanksgiving foods, how high would pumpkin pie be on your list and and add sweet potato casserole to that? Because those are two things that I can't stand and a lot of people love on Thanksgiving. What are your thoughts on pumpkin pie and sweet potato casserole? Well, now, I did love me some pumpkin pie, but, but when just listening to you guys go over the menu... This is why I was determined that I was a fat bastard, okay? <laughs> so, you guys, be careful. You know, I don't want you throwing up. Um, <laughs> but I love me some pumpkin pie. You know what I don't – what I shifted pumpkin pie, you know what I have now for Thanksgiving besides my wonton? What's that? I make a banana banshee. Oh. You know what a banana banshee is? I don't. What's in that? Oh, I don't know. It's a bunch of rum and some bananas and some pina colada. <laughs> and then you don't even realize it's Thanksgiving. Just you barely remember the whole thing. It's gone before you know it. So I'm just telling you guys, your whole deal changes as you get older. But I'm a lot skinnier than I was when I was younger, and I'm a lot happier. 
no doubt about it. And T-Dub, the other food that wasn't brought up between either of us, that's mac and cheese. Now, is mac and cheese a Thanksgiving food or not? I don't know if I consider it in the uh, in the category of just being specifically Thanksgiving because, yes, yeah, there'll be select times throughout the year. I eat turkey, and obviously mashed potatoes a decent amount throughout the year. But I eat mac and cheese a lot more than I do either one of those two. So mac and cheese is more of an everyday, or not everyday type of food, but it's definitely a maybe a once-a-week type of thing or something along those lines. So, no, I, the mac, a, good, a good stash of mac and cheese is good. But for me, if you have the broccoli cheese casserole and you have it made right, you don't necessarily need the mac and cheese because then you have a little too much cheese going on there. So I, I would say it's all about the proportions That's right. uh, whenever you get this equation down. You you have to you only have so much room on the plate, so you have to be able to, to make sure you proportionalize exactly how you want. Well, and going along with the broccoli cheese casserole, the rice is really like the Kevin Durant of the casserole, right? It's really good by itself, but it has to be combined with something else to be elite. And I think that the broccoli and the cheese is what makes the rice elite in the broccoli cheese casserole, right, T-Dub? I mean, it's an all-time goat Thanksgiving food. And uh, the other question, the last question that I had about the Thanksgiving food, uh, Woody, is have you ever had a turducken? That's something that I've never had, but I heard John Madden talk about for years. A what? It's called a turd duck, and it's a turkey, a duck, and a chicken mixed. I would eat a duck on a bet, okay? (laughs) They're they're absolutely horrible. So, no, I have never had that, nor will I. I'm not going to eat what you just said. So, you don't like (laughs) duck, Woody? No, I don't like duck. I love duck. Oh, duck's awesome. I'm going to eat duck. You're like the last person on earth I thought would not like duck. Oh Lord, no, no. That's that's like eating liver. Oh no, it's it's dark and red and nasty. Uh-uh. T-Dub, no, have you no. ever had a turducken? I, I'm sure Randy cooks up some great Thanksgiving food. By the way, shout out to Randy, T-Dub's dad, uh, doing big things down at Jake's Rib. Randy, Randy cooked too much during his work time. He never cooked on Thanksgiving ever. No, so no, understandable. No, never got much much good food uh, coming from there. I've never had a turducken. It sounds very, very interesting. I've had turkey. I've had duck. I've had chicken. I like all three of those. I see no reason why the turducken would not be a major success. I've just got one thing to tell you, boys. Listening to your dinner uh, options that you're going to be eating, Pepto-Bismol, gas I don't know what you're going to have. You're going to need something. You're going to be ugly, unhappy with your stomach. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about it. And T-Dub, did we miss anything today? Is there anything else in the world of golf? So, yeah, one thing we, we mentioned or we forgot to mention, we, and it came out about a week ago or so and just kind of went through the headlines. We had talked a little bit about Brian Stark's transfer from OSU, which seemed pretty shocking considering he was in the top 11 or 12, whether it was a PGA Tour U, saying he was going to transfer. Well, he finally picked where he's going to go, and he's going to go to Texas of all places, guys. So Brian Stark leaving the university or Oklahoma State University, going all the way down the University of Texas, going to play with uh, Travis Vick and some of the other guys they have down there. I don't know, Sam. Does that make Texas uh, all of a sudden a, a contender to uh, compete with maybe the North Carolinas and Vanderbilt of the world? Uh, you would have to think that's a big P 
piece that Texas didn't have before this transfer. And what it makes me think about is, you know, back in our day, back in like 2014, a guy to go from Oklahoma State to Texas in the same conference would need a release and probably wouldn't get one. But now with the transfer portal, these guys can go wherever they want, right? And so that's just a big change and and something that is completely foreign to me. Uh, talking about, you know, one of Oklahoma State's best players leaving in the middle of the year to go to Texas. That's crazy. It really is. And even just reading up on the article on, on GolfChannel.com from uh, Brittany Romine, saying how he had, to, he had to up his hours from 12 to 20 hours just to make sure that he was going to be eligible um, for, for the graduate program next year at Texas. So taking 20 hours in a year is extremely hard to do. So shout out to Brian Stark for being able to, um, to do that. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, you know, I asked the question to you, I don't necessarily think that it makes them as good as North Carolina is just because they've looked so dominant, but, uh, Texas definitely, they may not have had the best spring or the best fall. I mean, as they wanted to, but uh, this definitely sets them up, um, for some major success. And it's going to be a, a fairly big season for Brian Stark. He moved down to, I believe 13th in PJ U rankings. We know how big the top five and the top 15 are in there. So yeah, there's a, uh, a lot of pressure on Mr. Stark going into this uh, season also to validate that he made the, uh, the right decision in transfer. So just to be clear, T-Dub, we will see Brian Stark playing for Texas next semester, not just next year. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, when I say now, I, I think of 2022 to 2023 is what I'm thinking. But, yes, he will be there in the spring and should be able to compete in, uh, in all their tournaments as long as he uh, qualifies for it. Very, very interesting. Well, great show, guys. Thank you to Woody and Taylor Williams. This has been Sam Humphreys here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And hit that like and subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. It's the purple button. And on Spotify, it is the green button. That just helps us out. It's absolutely free. So stay with us next week here on the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Oklahoma.